960 of your pew Bible. And we're going to read verses uh, 1 through 6. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Steve, you bow your heads and pray with me. Dear God, I thank you once again for this opportunity for us to gather here this morning. And God, I pray that your spirit would be present, Lord. Your spirit would open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say in this text, Lord, and that this would, uh, this would be something that would not uh, just be of intellectual curiosity to any of us, Lord. But it would be something that, as we take to heart, would really bring deep change, Lord, that can lead to life. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Madonna Luis Ciccone, known around the world simply as Madonna, is seen as one of the most successful Uh, if not the most successful female entertainer in all of history. Uh, CNN has labeled her as one of the most influential artists uh, in in all of music. Uh, I think it was Time Magazine actually listed her as one of the most powerful powerful women, just in period, of the 20th century. Uh, She is only second to the Beatles in her success in terms of singles uh, on the American singles chart. Uh, She has been deemed the queen of pop. She is the the epitome of success. Yet in in an article, an interview she had with Vanity Fair, this is what she has said about her life. I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, And then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre again and uninteresting again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. We are continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and it's a series which we've entitled Life 2.0. 
And the whole central thesis of this sermon, the whole uh, basic concept of it, is that God has come in the person of Jesus. God has returned. God has come in the person of Jesus to come into a world that needs him, that has been looking and longing for him, that the people of Israel were waiting for him to return. And God has returned in the person of Jesus, and he is offering us, he is opening up to us an invitation to enter into his kingdom and to begin to experience the life that is to come in part now in anticipation of what is to come. He's offering us the opportunity to begin to experience in part the life that is to come, to to begin to experience what it truly means to be a human being, to go from life 1.0 to life 2.0. And I do just want to thank Jim Campoli once again for letting me use his phone because he let me use it last week. I forgot to give it back to him and... uh, he had to come get it later on in the week. I am, I'm going to give it back. You've got a text message here, which you might want to check. It's for me. God is inviting us to go from life 1.0 to life 2.0 to begin to experience, in part, what it truly means to be human. And what we find today in the passage that we're looking at today really hones in on one of the key aspects of what, what life is all about, what, what it means to experience true life. And it can be summed up with one word, approval, approval. Life, true life, is found in finding approval. That's really what this text is pointing to. Uh, the first verse, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men. This word, Righteousness is a word that, at least from one angle, really points to this whole issue of approval. The word righteousness comes from the same root word that we find throughout the New Testament that refers to justification, to be justified, to be approved, to stand in the right is what it, is what it means. So this is really all about approval. And in fact, the word righteousness, uh, although we use it in church circles and maybe we don't realize that it's, it's really talking about approval, <clears throat> there are actually areas of American subculture where this word is actually used to talk about approval. Excuse me. Some of you may know who Sean White is, uh, Olympic snowboarder, probably the most famous snowboarder in the world. And when he performs any of his tricks, but especially his double cork 1440, uh, I don't really know what that means, although I saw it on YouTube, and he, I think he spins like four, 1,440 degrees in the air and flips and whatever. <clears throat> and when he lands that trick, I don't think it would be uncommon for some of his snowboarding friends to say that that trick was righteous. Right? This is how the word is used. Like, that was totally righteous. And what do you mean when you say that? Well, maybe you don't say that, but what do they mean when they say that? They say, I approve of that. I approve of that trick. I approve of that person. And so that's what this word is pointing to. It's this whole whole idea of approval. And I think that what we see, particularly in the example of Madonna, is that we all hunger for approval. This is something that deep down inside, every single one of us longs to receive approval. And in the case of Madonna, what we discover is that no no matter how much approval you get, it seems like there is this insatiable desire for more. That you're always looking to see, am I measuring up? Am I worthy? Am I, well, am I approved? Right? We find this in, in, in all walks of life. Even this morning, I saw on my, my iPhone this ABC News app, and they put up this story about how 
in the past year in America, 100,000 teenage girls got plastic surgery. In America, 100,000. And, and, and this, was, this was not for medical reasons, but for cosmetic reasons. And then they went and they, they interviewed this 14-year-old girl who had gotten plastic surgery. And, and she just said, I've spent my whole life feeling inadequate and looking at women who look differently. And I just thought this would help to boost my self-esteem. So we're all looking for this, this approval. It's not just teenage girls that are looking for approval. Adults, we look for approval. We look for it in many different ways for many of us. It is in our career. That's where we look to find our approval. And so we spend our whole lives trying to climb the corporate ladder or do whatever it takes to get so that people will look at us and say that we are, we are successful. There's a counselor in, in Manhattan who works with a lot of, of high-end executives. And she basically says that achievement is the alcohol of our time. That these folks don't necessarily abuse alcohol, but what they abuse is their own lives. They abuse their own lives by, by working and, and working themselves to exhaustion, all just to reach this level of achievement, all so that they can be approved. And we find this, uh, I think, even as parents, even as parents, uh, we're looking for approval. We want to be approved. Are we good parents? Just this past week, Laura and I went out to eat, and we took our family with us. We took our two small children. And when you go out to eat with two small children, you have to really lower your expectations for that dinner. <laughs> you really do. You've got to just set the bar low on what counts as a successful uh, dinner outing. Right? When, you, when you go, when it's just the two of you, you go out and you expect to have a nice, calm, relaxing time together where you can gaze into each other's eyes and have deep, meaningful conversation, unless your phone rings, of course, and interrupts all of that. Right? But you go out and, and you hope to have this, this calm, relaxing time together. When you, uh, when you go with two small children, you, you consider it a success if you get out of there without breaking something. Right? If you get out of there without having macaroni and cheese stains uh, all over your shirt, uh, if you get out of there without the, the waitress having to go and change uh, her clothing because you spilled something on it, you, you consider that a success. And, of course, the, the whole thing is that when you go out to eat with your children and you go out into a public place, it's as if your parenting is being put on display for the entire world to see. Right? And, and you go out there and, and you just feel like with every crayon that rolls underneath somebody's table, right, with, uh, uh, with, with every spilled glass of milk that the waitress has to clean up, uh, with, with every I-don't-want-to-eat-my-Brussels-sprouts temper tantrum that takes place at the table, you feel like there are eyes all around looking at you, and they are making a declaration of righteous or unrighteous. We all hunger for approval. Not just as parents, but as, as husbands, as wives. We hunger for approval from our spouse, from others, for people to, to see, yes, you're a good husband, you're a good spouse. Right? You know, you, 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 husbands, you've probably had this sort of experience maybe where you, you go out on Valentine's Day and, and you go to the Hallmark store and you go through 150 Hallmark cards and, just to find the perfect one for your wife. And then you get that card, and then you, you go to the chocolate section, and you pick out a, a, a box of really nice dark chocolates that you know your wife will really enjoy. And then you come back to the house, and, and right before you're about to give them to your wife, 
you realize that she's looking at Facebook. And we all know that Facebook on Valentine's Day is every guy's worst nightmare. Because everybody's wife has some old high school friend named Flavio, some, uh, you know, wonderfully beautiful man who uh, was like uh, the the state golf champion, and he was uh, the valedictorian and the quarterback of the of the high school football team, and, and of course he's independently wealthy because in addition to having created his own line of protein shakes, uh, he also identified that one gene that leads to child leukemia, and so he's, he's figured out how to work with that, and so, so he's independently wealthy. So you, you, you go on Facebook, your wife's always telling about these pictures that he's posting. He's always posting uh, pictures of him uh, you know, running his third marathon that year, right? And, and, and then, you, you know, maybe pictures of him with, uh, with the president and the president of Israel because Obama wanted him to be part of the Middle East peace talks, right? And, and he's, right, he's, he's just Mr. Everything. And, and, you know, he's got pictures of him in the Caribbean with his wife and kids on an extended vacation. And you come home with your, your card and your box of chocolates and your wife says, oh, my gosh, look what Flavio did for his wife. Flavio has posted a poem on Facebook that he wrote for his wife. And you know what he did? He didn't just buy her chocolates. He's also a sculptor. And so he he sculpted a picture of her out of dark chocolate. (laughs) And so you walk in with your card and your box of chocolates, and you're feeling pretty inadequate. We all hunger for approval. We're a society that belongs for approval so much that we'll find it in just about any way, and we have some strange ways to find approval. Hot dog eating contests. There are guys out there, they're like, I can't do anything, but I can eat hot dogs. That's how I'll get my recognition, that's how I'll get my approval. We are a society that longs to be approved, long to be declared righteous, And, of course, depending on what circles you are in, righteousness, approval, takes on different forms, right? If you are living in an academic environment, well, then your righteousness, your approval, is based on the number of degrees and the quality of degrees that you have. If you run in in athletic circles, then your righteousness, your approval, is based on your athletic performance, if, if you grow up in, in musical or artistic circles, then your righteousness, your approval is based on the quality of your artistic expression, right? If you grow up in, in organic food circles, then your righteousness and approval is based on whether or not you shop at ShopRite or Trader Joe's. If you are involved in the, in the natural, natural birth circles, then your righteousness and approval is based on whether or not you got an epidural or not. Now, there's many ways in which we, we, we seek approval, and, and, and it's, it's actually relative, depending on what circles that you're in. But what isn't relative is the fact that every single one of us longs to find approval. And, of course, if you are in religious circles, then your righteousness, your approval is then based on your religious performance. And this, this is what Jesus is getting at here. He's pointing at this idea, these acts of righteousness that you do, and whether that's your prayer or, or giving to the poor, uh, whether it's 
any sort of religious activity or moral activity that is part of what God teaches, and that's another way in which we seek to find approval. Now, what does Jesus have to say about all of this? This great hunger, this great thirst to find uh, approval. Well, I think one thing that we discover is that I don't think he's saying that seeking approval is necessarily bad. I don't think he's saying that that's good, that's natural, that makes sense that we are all longing to find approval. But here's the key, here's the key question. Whose approval are you trying to find? Whose approval are you after? It's very simple. Are you seeking the approval of other people? Or are you seeking the approval of God? Because this is the difference between life 1.0 and life 2.0. What God is saying is that true life is found when you're no longer seeking the approval of other people. Life is found when you give your life to seek the approval and the pleasure of God. This is where life is found. Now, does this mean we don't, uh, we shouldn't seek to please or win the approval of anybody? Does this mean you shouldn't try to seek the approval of your boss or your spouse? No, I don't. I don't think so. Let me just read to you from Colossians chapter three, and I think this sort of sums up how this works. Do we seek the approval of our boss, our spouse, or is it just God? How does that work? Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 says this. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. Now, let me just say as a side note, this is not an endorsement of slavery. I do not have time to go into this. Paul is just working within the cultural setting in which he lived. If if we went back to the series we went on in 1 Peter last year, we saw that actually the things that Paul says and the things that the New Testament says have to say, actually sowed the seeds for the undoing of slavery in the Roman Empire. So that's another whole story. But So don't get distracted by that. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. What he's simply getting at, those who are over you, those who are in authority over you, and so for us, we can take this simply to refer to, in an employment situation, our boss, right? So what is it saying here? Obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Notice here, I don't think it's saying that you shouldn't be concerned about winning their favor. Of course, of course you should do that. But what it's saying is that ultimately what you ought to be doing is seeking to please the Lord. And the primary way in which you are going to do that is by seeking to please your boss unless there is clearly some sort of conflict between what your boss wants you to do and what Scripture teaches, unless there's that sort of a conflict, then yes, you should seek to please your boss and that that is a way in which you are going to please God. Does this mean that that we shouldn't seek to uh, please our, our spouse, right? No, of course not. Of course we should seek to win the approval of our spouse and and to please them. But again, ultimately what you're trying to do is even in pleasing them, your ultimate goal is to please God. And when we have this frame of mind, then I think it helps us to answer the age-old philosophical question about the dishes. You guys know this deep question? It goes like this. If a man washes a dish, 
and his wife doesn't notice, did he actually wash the dish? Right? I mean, if a man washes a dish and his wife does not notice that he washed it, did he actually wash the dish? And I think some people would say no. No, if, if she did not notice it, it's as if he did not wash the dish. I mean, it's just like if a tree falls in a forest and nobody hears, does it make a sound? Some people say no. No, it did not make a sound unless somebody heard it. Same thing. If a man washes a dish, his wife doesn't notice, well, then it was as if it did not happen. This answers this for us, and it says yes. Even if your wife doesn't notice that you washed the dish, you did do it because ultimately you were doing it for God. One of the things that this helps us with is it helps us to love and serve people even when they don't appreciate it. Even when you love and serve somebody and it goes unappreciated, it goes unnoticed, you realize that it is not in vain because ultimately, who are you serving? You are seeking to serve the Lord. Whose approval are we seeking? And what this is saying is that life, life is found in seeking the approval of God. Now, uh, what I want us to notice here in, in verse, uh, verse 1, going back to our passage. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, it goes on to say, right, that when you give, when you pray, to, to do it in secret, right? To, to, to go into your room and pray so that it's clear that you're doing this for God. That when you give, uh, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Don't make uh, a big fanfare out of it. Uh, just, just do it so it's clear that you're doing it for the Lord. Now, I, I don't think what this is saying is that it's really about whether or not other people see your acts of righteousness. I don't think that's really the issue. And, of course, one of the reasons why I don't think that is because actually Jesus says the very opposite thing earlier on in the sermon. If you go back into chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 16, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So here he's saying, well, let your good deeds be seen by others. But in this passage, he's saying, well, you need to do it in secret. What's going on here? The issue really isn't a matter of whether or not other people see your deeds. In fact, in one sense, we do want people to see it uh, again. But here's the point. Here's the question. What is your motivation? It all comes down to the motivation. Why are you doing this? Are you doing this act of righteousness in order to draw attention to yourself? Are you doing this act of righteousness so that other people will think of you as, as holy and righteous? Or are you doing this act of righteousness with the hope that if people see it, that, that all the glory will be given to God, not to you? That's what it's saying, that all the glory may be given to God. So the question isn't a matter of whether or not other people see it or not. The real issue is a matter of motivation. This is why religion and morality can be so deceptive can be so deceptive because you can have you can have somebody doing all of the it seems like the right things they can be serving God they can be tithing they can be serving in the church 
they can be praying, and they can be a million miles away from God. It's deceptive because it's easy to think, well, if I'm doing, I'm doing the things that God commands, so I must be on the right path. Well, think of it this way, though. This is why it's deceptive. If you spend an enormous amount of time and money and effort just trying to make yourself physically attractive, right? you spend lots of time, lots of money. I'm not saying there isn't a place for trying to look good for your spouse. I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying that that's wrong in and of itself. Of course, there's a place for even that in terms of pleasing your spouse. But if you spend an enormous amount of time and energy and effort simply trying to make yourself look physically attractive, you know that you are not doing this to please God. I mean, there's not a lot of doubt on that one. But if you're serving in church, you're tithing, you're giving to the poor, you're Uh, serving in various ministries, uh, you're involved in a Bible study or a community group, you're you're spending time in prayer, it's not necessarily so clear. You can have two people in the same church, you you can have two people giving the same amount of money, you can have two people serving in exactly the same ministries, you can have two people involved in the same community group Bible studies, you can have the same people getting up and praying the same amount Uh, Every single day, you could have two people who both raise their hands in worship to exactly the same height. And one is really drawing close to the Lord. And the other is a million miles away. Because it's entirely about your heart. It's entirely about your motivation. I mean, there, there, there are some people who, when they realize what their motivation is, and they realize, oh my gosh, I've been raising my hands in worship so that people will think I'm really holy and religious. And when they come to realize that, when they come to see God's approval, they put their hands down. But somebody else could have exactly the opposite response. They could say, the reason I don't raise my hands in worship is because I'm worried about what other people would think of me. And as they came to say, no, I'm doing this for the glory of God, then, then they actually raise their hands. It ends up not being whether you raise or you don't raise your hands. It's all a matter of what is your heart motivation. And what Jesus is saying here is that life is found. When you are doing everything for the glory of God, when it is all about seeking his approval, not the approval of of others. And here's the most amazing thing about seeking the approval of God. And that is that when you seek the approval of God, it is a kind of seeking that is based on the fact that God already approves of you. When you seek to please God, when you seek to win his approval, It's a kind of seeking that is based on the fact that God already approves of you. You see, the very heart of the gospel, again, when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we have to remember it's not primarily about Jesus telling us what to do. That has to be set 
in the background the fact that God has returned. God has come in the person of Jesus. God has come despite the fact that the people he's coming for did not deserve it. Think about this. Jesus was falsely accused. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was hung up on a cross to die. And what did he say about the people who had done this to them? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, I think if there was ever someone in a situation where they were justified in not approving of what had been done, I think that would probably be it. And yet Jesus still says, I approve. I love them. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they have done. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, made righteous. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by the grace that came through the redemption of Christ Jesus. You see, we're seeking the approval of a God who simply by faith, when we turn to him, and we say, I am not worthy of your justification, I am not worthy of your righteousness, And he forgives us. He welcomes us into his presence. And all of the seeking of his approval is based on that. It's that we've come to see what he's done for us. I mean, this is a a, a shallow example, but a a couple of years ago, my wife and I were taken out to dinner by this exceptionally wealthy couple. And the total bill for six six people was over $2,300. It was a good meal. And I remember, I remember we coming home and feeling like, well, boy, I, I want to please them. I, I, want to, I, I want to win their approval. I want them to think well of me. I'm like, well, I, there's no way I can. It's not like I can make up for, I can't make this up. So I think I wrote some stupid song and we, we wrote a note to them. And, and it wasn't, it was because of what they'd already done for us. This is the heart of the gospel. When you come to realize what God has done for you, as he begins to work in your heart, and you realize that he values you, he approves you, that you don't actually have to earn that, what that leads you to do is to want to go out and please him more. To lead yourself into prayer and into almsgiving, to care for the poor and to worship him and to praise him, to seek his approval because he's the one who has already approved. Friends, life is found not in seeking the approval of other people. That is an endless game, as we saw with Madonna. It never ends. It never ends because we're very finicky people. And one minute we approve and the next minute we don't. But not with God. Not with God. May we seek the approval of the one who, by his grace, already approves us. And in that, we will find life. Dear God, we praise you for your grace. We praise you that we don't have to seek the approval of others. We don't have to find our worth in that. We don't have to dive into that endless game of trying to find value. That you have come for us 
that in the person of Jesus Christ, you, God, have come. And despite the fact that we do not deserve you, you love us, you invite us, you welcome us into your kingdom. Lord, as that becomes more and more a reality in our heart, may we respond by seeking to please you in everything that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.